Hello, and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. Uh, I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website, and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. It's been a few weeks since our last episode, and we're going to cast our eyes over the transfers that took place across January involving Irish players. We're going to have a look at the opposition for the under-21 and their qualifying campaign for the 2025 European Under-21 Championship and uh, look ahead to the Women's Friendly against China. Mark and Phil, it's good to talk to you both. How are you? Yeah, all good, Joe. Phil? All good, lads. All good. Let's dive straight in, so, with the transfers, uh, loans and contracts for Irish players. There was uh, 32 transfers, 19 loans, two new contracts and one managerial appointment for uh, Republic of Ireland players in the January 2023 transfer window, with a few completing moves after the transfer window closed. Uh, some notables, I think, included uh, Conor Ronan going to MLS football to play with Colorado Rapids. You under-19 striker Marco Mahoney leaving Cork to join the Irish contingent at Brighton. Mark, uh, what transfers stood out for you? Joe, you've probably captured a few of them, really. I mean, the Conor Ronan one, we've talked about him at length in this podcast. A player, great potential, and decision for him to go to the MLS was a surprise for me. I don't know about you guys going to Colorado Rapids. Uh, I mean, a team that are probably going to be on the way up uh, this season, the MLS, but does that spell maybe um, the end for Conor Ronan from an international football perspective? I'm not sure. I suppose the other ones really to probably call out. Uh, Michael Obafemi, obviously, uh, getting his wish, getting out of Swansea City. I think that was a toxic relationship at the football club and joining Burnley, Vincent Company, and that equaliser last night uh, for Burnley, I think, has done the world good for him to secure a full-time move. And probably the other, only other one that I can really kind of see here, and maybe it's kind of a long shot really, would be uh, probably Shane Duffy moving permanently from Brighton to Fulham. I was wondering in terms of that loan signing where it go to, He's now got a full-time contract uh, with Fulham, so it'll be interesting to see how Duffy kind of tries to break his way into the first team now. Bill, were there any moves that stood out for you? Yeah, there was plenty. Um, I had Shane Duffy on the list. Obviously, it's, uh, I think it's really disappointing that he's he signed for Fulham, knowing that he's not going to be playing any football, basically, between now and, and March. You know, he got his one crack in the FA Cup, and that was it. Unless there's some serious injuries, he's not going to get a sniff. So it, I think it's disappointing to have someone as experienced as him not playing at all. And I'm sure he wants to play football, but he's obviously, you know, he's he's in a Premier League squad and he's probably on a decent wave. So there's that as well for him personally. But other than that, yeah, there was a few. It, it was kind of a funny transfer window because you had the likes of, I think, well, obviously, I suppose the highlight of the transfer window for everyone seems to be Doherty moving to Atletico Madrid. Um, everybody was, you know, everyone went crazy over it. And a lot of people were asking me, what do you think? And I said, it's a great move if he plays football. Otherwise, it's it's not a great move. Because at his age and how important he is to the, the senior squad, we need him playing week in, week out, or, or at least semi-regularly. Will that happen at Atletico Madrid? I don't know. Like He's a player that Stephen Kenny's used more than anyone, nearly. So that remains to be seen. Will it be a good move? Obviously, it's great to have a player playing in La Liga at such a esteemed club and with all these great players. But again, if he's sitting on the bench, might not be the best. A few other moves I was looking at were 
obviously Obafemi is one you just hope he kind of settles down a bit now he's like every move he's had seems to have not worked out he's gone into a team that is absolutely steamroller in the championship at a level like we've never seen like they're already practically champions they're definitely already gone up so if he can make some some big contributions like with the equaliser well then he'll be kept and he'll be playing in the Premier League next year which is a positive because at the end of the day he's still young so it'd be great to see him back up in the up in the top division I suppose when you look at midfielders Derek Costello's been moved on I think he's gone to Bradford he's going to get some game time and you've Connor Coventry as well. He's he's left West Ham, which is a funny one because it, it really contrasts with a player like, say, Joe Hodge, who at the start of the season, if he had said which one would be playing more regularly for a Premier League team, you'd probably say Coventry because he was involved with West Ham from the off. I think he came on as a sub in their first game. He played in the Europa League and then all of a sudden he kind of just fell out of favour and was told he could go. Whereas Hodge really wasn't on the scene from minute one this season, but he's the man who's getting game time with the Premier League team and is after signing a new contract. So who knows where these players will be in six months' time. So it can just show you what one transfer window can do. I was looking down through the list and, you know, some of the, the other ones that's, that stood out for me was maybe Kyra Carusa moving from Denmark to play for London City Lionesses. I mean, obviously with the, the World Cup coming up this summer, there's going to be a lot of focus on the, the women's team. And I think she wants to make sure she's as sharp as possible and keep her name in Vera Powell's thoughts. A name who was kind of highly thought of for a while but slipped out of many people's minds is uh, Deji Satona, probably best known for having recorded one of the fastest sprint times at uh, Manchester United's academy. He had a move to France to play for Nice um, and then went on loan uh, in Scotland at the beginning of the season, but it didn't really work out. And after returning to France, he's been snapped up by Burnley. He hasn't got into their senior team yet. He's going to play for their under-21s in the PL2, but could be one, you know, like Obafemi that if it works out, he could be playing Premier League football next season. In terms of the loans, I think Aaron Connolly's move to Hull is probably the most high-profile when he moved to Italy at the start of the season to play for Venezia, we all thought that this was his last chance maybe to prove himself to stay at Brighton and Hove Albion. It didn't work out for a number of reasons. And, you know, the last time he actually kicked the football until the move to Hull was for the under-21s in their playoff against Israel. But he seems to have settled well at Hull. He's he's worked with the manager there, Neymar Senior, previously in the academy at Brighton. And he's one of these players that you've looked at and you thought, like, he definitely has the talent. Does he have the application? And we really hope that he applies himself at Hull, that the manager gets the best out of him. And then when he goes back to Brighton, where you have to remember the number of strikers in the squad is quite high. And he'll have to, you know, will, no matter what happens when he goes back to Brighton, he's going to have to fight for his position there. He's had nearly so, as many teams as Robbie Keane's had, and he's only he's only yeah. Yeah. You know, it seems like it, it seems like every six months we say we really hope he can put the head down now and apply himself at insert club here. Yeah, that Serie A move just didn't work, did it, guys? I mean, if you change, they were literally caught in a relegation battle from day one. Manager, you know, had played Connolly for a few games, but then got into siege mentality mode. It looked like 
So, I mean, that was never going to be a flyer. I think Liam are senior there in Hull. I think it's a good move for Aaron Connolly, and I don't think he'll be back in Brighton. I generally don't. I think he might be a full-time Hull City player come next season, I think. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Brighton would be the kind of squad to take a player like that back. They seem to be a well-oiled machine now moved on from players like him, I'd say. Yeah. Guys, can I get your thoughts on Gavin Kilkenny? Start of the season, we had massive high hopes from the FC Bournemouth, EPL. Then he got his loan move to Stoke City, and within a few weeks, Michael O'Neill gets a sack. Now he's going to Charlton Athletic, who are kind of mid-table in League One. What do you think of that loan move, really? I don't know. It's hard to know. It comes down to if he, if he plays football or not. I think we did a pod not that long ago where we were looking at all our midfield options. Kenny was one, Tara Costello was another, Hodge and Coventry. And now we've seen three of them go on loan. And maybe the three we wouldn't have suspected. So it just shows you how quickly it can change, especially for, for young midfielders. It's, it's hard to know how it would go. Like he never really featured at Bournemouth, did he? Last season in the Championship in their promotion team played 18 times. And which is okay, which is more than I thought. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but if the previous two seasons he'd only played, he played four in 2021 and and just twice in 2019-20. I think a lot of people had thought that this season, you know, he'd kick on again from his performances uh, with Bournemouth uh, in winning promotion. And the loan to Stoke was a little disappointing, but maybe the the thoughts uh, of the. You know, the hierarchy at the Vitality Stadium was that playing regularly in the Championship is better than keeping the bench warm in the Premier League. But there's always a, a little bit of luck involved in any move, and it, it did, just didn't work out at Stoke. They've changed manager since he, he went there, and yeah, it just he wasn't being played, so Bournemouth exercised their right to recall him from the loan and send him out to Charlton where he seems to be playing a, a little bit more regularly you know he's got three games since he went there which is uh, just only one short of of his total uh, at Stoke Charlton they're not doing great in the league they're very much in mid table in 11th position they're 13 points behind Barnsley in 6th and 12 ahead of Morecambe in 21st so Maybe he's looking at Kilkenny as a, a player that could push them up the, the table. Look, if he plays regularly, if he goes back to Bournemouth at the end of the season, if they stay up, he could be a Premier League player next season. But that's a lot of ifs. You know, it really is. Um, they absolutely will not stay up. <laughs> Conclusively, I am telling you now, they are gone. I think when you look at midfielders have to play. It's It's such an important position. It's not like, say, a goalkeeper or a centre-back where you might come in and you're young and you might learn off the older players over a couple of seasons and eventually break into the team. Like, say, even like Collins now at Wolves, you know, he's been dropped. There's no mad panic. They've made a new sign-in. But, you know, he'll be eased in. You know, there's still time for him to be eased in. But I think with young midfielders, 21-22, they nearly have to be playing at some level week in, week out to develop as a midfielder, like Jason Knight is a perfect example. Like you wouldn't be worried about Jason Knight playing down in League One. He's played like 150 games. Everybody knows who he is from last season in the Championship. I'm sure there's plenty of clubs looking for him. So maybe even though he's a Kilkenny's a chat, and if he got a good run to the end of the season, it might benefit him 
more than maybe staying at Stoke and not really playing it at all. So, Looking at some of the other players that have got on loan, Tom Cannon is an interesting one. The 200 Irish player to appear in the Premier League, if you don't count players who have changed their allegiance since they uh, appeared in England's top division. I do count players who switched their allegiance to Ireland in that time. You know, he's gone on loan to Preston. There's a lot of Irish players there. Uh, there's another Irish striker on loan at Preston in uh, in Troy Parrish, who scored his second goal of the season this week. Cannon scored regularly for Everton's 21 side, and I think it is the the natural progression for him to go out on loan. Look, we don't know how things are going to go at Everton this season. They're third from bottom. They've changed their manager. You'd think that Dyche is the, the type of manager that you would bring in to fight against relegation. They're a great club. They have a, a new stadium coming soon. They don't want to be outside the Premier League. They're one of the few teams that have played every single Premier League season. And obviously, having the Irish captain Seamus Coleman there, we really don't want to see them get relegated. And of course, uh, another promising Irish youth striker that's got on loan is Callum Cavanagh. Uh, he's with Middlesbrough, been on the bench for him a few times, but he hasn't played for the Borough yet. Uh, he was on loan last season at Harrogate. He just scored once. Uh, and he's uh, spending the rest of the season with uh, Newport County in League Two, where he's already uh, opened his account. I like the look of Kavanagh, uh, and not just because he looks almost exactly like his father, our former Ireland midfielder, Graham Kavanagh, to the point where I'm almost half expecting him to have graying at the temples, uh, even though he's only 19. His dad, I think he was a bit of a cult hero at more than one club, which is a rarity. Again, similar to Cannon, he scored regularly for Middlesbrough's underage teams. So, yeah, I have, a, I have some high hopes for the for the striker. Two other players, uh, Joe. I've um, got uh, Tyreek Wright, I think, has done very well in this transfer window. Being with Bradford, Mark Hughes, but he's got a permanent move to Plymouth Argyle, who are flying very high in League One. Potential there of championship football next season. All going well. It's a very competitive league in League One. I think it's a nice move for Tyreek Wright, good fan base, and I think he should get plenty of opportunities come the end of the season. And Killian Phillips, Fiera really rates him as a player uh, at Crystal Palace. He's loaned him to Shrewsbury Town, who have underperformed in League One in recent seasons, and they now sit in eighth, just be- behind uh, a few teams in the playoff spots. He scored once, two assists, and uh, Shrewsbury Town fans are loving him at the moment, so maybe another one to maybe watch out for uh, next season getting plenty of first-team football as well. Uh, just staying with the team of uh, our strikers going out on loan, friend of the, the show, Aidan O'Brien, has gone to Gillingham, managed by Millwall legend Neil Harris there. We wish him the very best, and I uh, hope the move works out for him. Just, just a word on one of the, I suppose, one of the, the bigger stories of the transfer window that didn't happen with Katie McCabe. Yes. I wonder... Is there any inkling that she angled for a move? It just seems strange that she was dropped so suddenly after. Apparently she's had a bit of a stone complaint, uh, and that's why she hasn't been starting for Arsenal. But, yeah, it, it is a bit odd that the stories about Chelsea's interest surface right about the same time that she gets dropped from the Arsenal uh, women's first team. She's going to be... a central part of Ireland's campaign in the World Cup this summer. I think she's she's just a wonderful footballer. She's got a great football brain. She sees passes and can, that I don't know if any other player in the pitch sees. Scores, takes free kicks, 
you know, she's a model footballer, really. And the transfer fee was rumoured to be a, a record for two teams in the, the Super League. Because, I mean, Alicia Russo, I think Arsenal bid half a million, didn't they, for um, Manchester United, ladies striker. I don't know if this was maybe to balance books here. A little bit with Katie McCabe as well. I'd be surprised if Katie McCabe was uh, would go down that road, given a World Cup year, needing to play regular first-team football. So that may have been a side angle as well. But it really goes to show the magnitude and respect that Katie McCabe has with her peers that Chelsea, who I feel is probably a better club. And Arsenal, no disrespect to Arsenal fans. Don't be criticising Joe here in the podcast. But in terms of the women's game, like great manager and Emma Hayes, there's a great squad there in Chelsea, and Chelsea look as if they're going to kind of go and retain their title. So just goes to show that this link may materialise after a World Cup here. I think McCabe may be a Chelsea player next season. I think that's a, a transfer saga we could be revisiting in the summer. Since last we spoke, the draw has been made for the 2025 UEFA Under-21 Championship qualifying group, and uh, Jim Crawford's team... Turkey, San Marino, Latvia, Norway, and for the second campaign in a row, uh, Italy. The group fixtures uh, were announced with Ireland kicking off their campaign at a double header at home to Turkey and San Marino in uh, in September. Mark, what did you think of the draw? Yeah, it's an interesting draw, Joe. I mean, <laughs> let's cut to the chase. I think it's a tough draw. I know we know what Italy are going to bring from an under-21 perspective. But I feel as well we're going to face massive competition here, particularly with Norway and Turkey. Turkey have had a great tradition of producing very good underage teams up to until 21 level. I don't expect that to change. And Norway as well, we've seen the conveyor belt of talent there. And even if you look at their previous qualification campaign, they won 8 out of 10 games here in their last previous qualification. They beat the likes of... um, nor uh, Croatia at home and again they're a team to be absolutely respected here Latvia we just don't know in terms of their underage policy here have they evolved but San Marino as well so you would, would regard as probably the bottom team in the group so I think Jim Crawford probably was under no illusion here again from the 21 perspective they're going to have to focus on their performance focus on their game in terms of previous qualification, I think we've talked at length here in this podcast about the learnings and really dealing with each team respectfully. And I think the team should hopefully evolve uh, uh, pretty much. I suppose going to maybe squad players here, uh, Joe, to be fair, it'll be interesting. I know we're kind of talking about this in February with September coming up. I mean, to be perfectly fair, it's uh, it will be interesting just to see in terms of the likes of maybe Killian Phillips that I've mentioned here, is he going to be a kind of a fulcrum for the side? I know he's uh, 20 years old right now, birthday coming up March 30th, so I think he should be eligible. So I think from that perspective, you know, that's a guy that I can see having a very prominent role in this team. When you consider the likes of Evan Ferguson, people like that will be kind of moving on to the senior team very rapidly. I don't know about you guys, in terms of any maybe dark horses here, maybe under 19, under 21 moving to the under-21 level? Well, with the friendly taking place uh, on the 26th of March, it's going to clash with the under-19s who are playing in the elite round of the, their qualifying campaign for the 2022-2023 UEFA Under-19 Championship, which will be held in, in Ireland. 
they've been drawing against Slovakia, Estonia and Greece. So I don't think we're going to see anyone from the under-19s in, in Jim Crawford's squad in a month's time. But you know, just looking down through the list of eligible players, one thing that strikes me is that a lot of them are going to be playing for the the senior team. Uh, you have Gavin Bizzunu, Andrew Ombamadeli, as you mentioned, Evan Ferguson, but also... Troy Paris, but I think Jim Crawford will still be able to put out a strong team. You have the likes of Arlo Darty in goals, Mazido Ogungbo in defence, uh, alongside the best name in football, Anselmo Garcia McNulty in midfield. I expect Festi Abaselli, you know, will be playing for the under 21s um, until he becomes a regular for Udinese in, in Syria, uh, alongside players like Zach Gilsenin and John Joe Finn Bonoa. We're still waiting for Cristiano Fitzgerald to make his first team debut for Boa Vista in Portugal, but he's training regularly with the, the first team there. Um, and up front, uh, I think we're actually a little spoiled for choice when it comes to, to strikers. Even considering the players are going to be in the senior team, there's still the likes of Deji Satona, Armstrong Okaflex, Mipo Odobico, Tom Cannon, Callum Kavanagh, as we mentioned earlier, Sinclair Armstrong, Edomo Emaku, who's been around the first team squad at Millwall after recovering from injury. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what squad gets picked for the game uh, in a little over a month's time. Um, and, you know, there hasn't been any announcement made yet about uh, if it will be available on TV or if it will be streamed on YouTube. Uh, but I think with the interest that's been in the under-21 side, for a few years now, really since Stephen Kane took over, you'd have to imagine that the FAI will be doing everything they can to make sure that uh, as many people as possible get to watch the game. Yeah, but the, the Italy game is certainly a massive draw. And um, like we we saw how good the games were against Italy and especially Sweden at home the last campaign out. So you'd imagine that that most of the games will be sold out. There should be massive exposure for it. Like the last time, because there was a lot of, there was huge hype about it the last time. We know ourselves from being in the stadium during the Israel playoff for the senior team, you know, there was more people watching the, the penalties than there was the actual game in Lansdowne Road. So, like, I think there is, there is, um, there's a big appetite for it because we have seen a lot of players step up as well from the under 21s. I think six in total, is it? So now we can look at the under 21 team and say, well, we can actually, you know, we can visualise maybe three or four of that team playing in the senior team in, in at least a year or two, whereas going back maybe 10 years ago, you, you wouldn't really thought that. And we were so close in the last qualification campaign, getting beat on penalties by Israel. You know, it was devastating loss, but look at the progression in terms of the under-21 programme. So the profile of the programme is there. It's been elevated and... Look, I'll be very interested to see, like, suppose from Laval and, like, Teo, Adra, Mola. You're really kind of impressing here on the under-21s. It's, uh, as you say, Joe, there's an awful lot of talent here in this under-21 pool for Jim Crawford to pick. So some of these uh, teams that will be coming, you know, like the Turkeys, the Norways, the Italian under-21 team will be probably able to draw. But don't be surprised if this is a very competitive group, like, um, from the get-go. Um, so look, I'm be looking forward to seeing um, even how Jim Crawford would evolve, you know, in terms of his tactics and game selection. The senior team will be playing Latvia in a friendly the week before the under-21s 
are playing Iceland in, in Cork. It's unlikely that we're going to see anyone promoted from the under-21s to face France only a day after that game in turn is crossed. But do you think that there could be some players involved against Latvia and then go on to play for the under-21s a few days later? I don't think so. I think anyone that will be in the Latvia squad will be in the the French squad and that will be final because... I think this this Latvia game was shoehorned in in a kind of a, a bit of a panic to try and fine tune the team to to get them ready for the France game. We've seen a lot with Ireland friendlies. You often see listicles and articles, you know, oh, ten players you'd like to see in the next game, and you're just looking at it going, none of these players are going to be involved because Stephen Kenny, like every result matters. He's not in a position where he can bring in four players and play three players and then not have them in the next squad. It's Literally every game is about evolving the team and trying to progress them. So mass disruption to the starting eleven and the squad just doesn't suit. It's not like a normal international team. So I would be very surprised if Joe Hodge wasn't finished with the under-21s now. Very, very surprised. I don't think there's any excuse for him to be playing with them. But... As regards bringing in maybe two or three under-21 players just to drop them down, I just, I just can't see it happening myself. Yeah, I'd be with Phil on that. I think Stephen Kenny's in a, you know, in a situation now where he really needs to get uh, some confidence going in the squad that he has. So, apart from Joe Hodge, maybe, uh, I think it'll be pretty much by and large what we've seen from Stephen Kenny in, in recent fixtures last year. So... Yeah, I, I'd, I'd expect the under-21 team Crawford to have a, as full a selection as he possibly can, I suppose, given like sort of the Evan Fergusons, the Gavin Bazunus, Andrew Abadelli, all these guys will be in the senior squad. When he does get the chance to maybe bring someone new in, it seems to be someone older, I wouldn't say more experienced. Like we saw CJ Hamilton come in, we've seen McGrath come back in since. We've seen, his name has gone from my head, Sykes. Yeah, but we haven't seen a lot of younger, younger players from the under-21s or anything like that just suddenly come into the team and be dropped out again. He's had his certain players to experiment with, but I don't see it. Maybe Festia Baselli, maybe. He was in the squad before and he didn't didn't play. Maybe him, but I don't think we'll be seeing anyone we don't know or haven't seen on a regular basis. Yeah, what do you think, Joe? Do you think there'd be any changes? I think there might be one or two players, you know, maybe that have been earmarked for progression to the senior team involved, but maybe not quite ready yet. I could see someone like Andrew Amabamadeli play for the, the seniors and then go on to play for the under 21s. You know, when you think that we're, we're pretty well stocked in terms of central defenders and, you know, just keep them in the senior team, you know, with a view to, with, as I say, a long term view. Phil has mentioned Joe Hodge there. A friendly like Latvia could be in a, a way of you know just getting him involved in that senior team picture, and then even if it's just a couple of training sessions, and then you know he can go. Because I don't know if he'd start. Uh, he's kind of faded a little bit from the first team picture with Wolves. I mean, he, he is back playing with their their PL2 team. You know, a lot can happen between now and the France game. Uh, and obviously, look, if he's part of the, the first team in a, a Premier League squad, then he should be part of the Ireland senior team. But if not, then 
just being involved with the team for that training against Latvia before maybe returning to the under-21s to play against uh, Iceland wouldn't be a, a bad idea. Fair enough. As we mentioned in our uh, end-year review, the biggest positive from an Irish footballing perspective last year was the women's national team qualifying for the World Cup in uh, Australia and New Zealand this summer. And the manager of Vera Powell has announced our first squad of the year as build-up begins in earnest ahead of the opener against Australia in July. Unfortunately, there you know there's a few players that are were unable to join the team uh, due to injury. Uh, Nee Fahey in defence, Leanne Kiernan up front, Jessica Zhu, among others. Uh, but two new names have been added to the team after receiving their clearance from FIFA. That's uh, Manchester United defender Aoife Mannion and Washington Spirit forward uh, Marissa Shiva. The women's national team will be playing uh, friendly against China uh, in Spain. You know, looking down through the squad, Mark, it's a 25-player squad. We're all familiar with players like Jason McIntyre and Phil Babb, who were not part of the qualifying campaign, but were bolters into the squad uh, when it came to the actual tournament. Uh, do you think that uh, Aoife or Marissa uh, have a chance of going to Australia in July? Well, I suppose the first thing first is it really says an awful lot about the Irish women's program that so many players have been really inquiring about the Republic of Ireland squad given the interview that Marissa Sheva basically gave um, I think quite a few players since Ireland have qualified for the World Cup there's been plenty of inquiries of Vera Powell so first things first free fan Marissa they're in the squad they're training with the squad they're being assessed here by Vera Powell and the management so it's really up to them now to impress and really put their front foot forward I suppose Aoife Mannion is you know, it's a, it's a good story here, based Sully Hull, an awful lot of Irish roots, heritage to her, particularly uh, Kilmaine Mayo and also Galway as well, Atiman. So, I mean, from West of Ireland perspective, it'd be a lovely kind of squad selection, but she's an awful lot of competition uh, there. I suppose the more intriguing one for me is Marissa Sheva, and I think uh, this is maybe an indication from Vera Powell that she's really seriously assessing what her frontline options are going into this World Cup. I like Heather Payne, works her socks off, but again, one goal in 30 international caps. Amber Barrett, five goals, 34 appearances. Again, we're looking for that person, that player that could maybe be a bit of a difference maker for us in the World Cup. So I think that's a big indication for Marissa Sheva that there's an opportunity here. So I hope to see a little bit of time to see her play against China particularly in this friendly match and, and I know there's a few more friendlies lined up here I think we kind of know the majority the nucleus of the squad but I think there's going to be two or three squad places up for grabs and always there's a tragedy going into a World Cup qualifier an ACL or leg injury that's going to deny a player here so I think opportunity knocks for the new call-ups uh, but overall I think it is um, it is going to be one here where like Zakara Krusa Marisa Sheva and Amber Barra really going to have to prove their worth in terms of the frontline uh, prowess here. And when we look down through the, through the squad, none of the forward players are in double figures for international goals, but two defenders, Anya Gorman and Louise Quinn, and two midfielders, Nisa Sullivan and Captain Katie McCabe, have more than 10 goals for the national side. So Vera Powell has identified some weaknesses um, that she wants to, to work on. And... Um, 
Marissa Sheva apparently has had her passport for a very long time, which I think was one of the, the prerequisites that Vera Powell had mentioned for players who had decided to apply to change their allegiance to the national team. Just from my opinion, I think that Aoife Mannion is less likely to go to Australia just because the of the players that are injured, a lot of them are defenders, but I think that she could be part of the squad you know, for the next campaign um, when you think that players like Anya Garman, Louise Quinn and Diane Caldwell in defence will more than likely retire from international football following the, the tournament this summer. Aside from all that, this is the first squad that's been announced in the year. It's our first indication of who we can look forward to seeing play for Ireland in July. There's going to be a massive buzz around this game. I'm hoping it's similar to the under-21s that the FAI do everything they can that this game uh, will be televised. Like it kind of leads itself fairly nicely as well, Joe. I mean, this is the start of the World Cup journey for the squad and management and, you know, the news to speak of the send-off uh, for the Ireland women's team against France, a very competitive French side in Tallis Stadium. I know in previous podcasts we've talked about the Viva, but maybe it's a proper send-off, you know, in Tallis Stadium, the home for the Irish women's soccer team. I'll certainly be there sending a bon voyage anyway to Australia, but uh, I think it's a very exciting time for Vera Powell management and the squad here, and let's just hope, fingers crossed anyway, all the players get game minutes, are fit and raring to go uh, when we leave for the shores to Australia and New Zealand. Just on, because you obviously have way more knowledge than I do about the Irish women's team and that, but just as kind of, an, I'd call myself nearly an outsider looking in, what did you make of the decision not to have the game in the Aviva? Was that ever a going to be a big push or was that just something that was floated it's unfortunate I think a lot of people were looking for that um, that final send off with a lot of great memories of the, the main team playing there before flying out uh, to Italy and to the USA and to Japan and South Korea but apparently it just wasn't available and the upgrades to the pitch that have been planned for the summer meant that it wasn't going to be available wasn't there an issue with tickets for the last game? Like, would it have, you know, genuine question, because I don't know, and maybe it's a question people don't want to ask, would they have been worried about the crowd size? You know, with especially with what happened the last game, where not that many people turned up, considering it was meant to have been sold out from minute dot. It's possible. I mean, when you look at the attendances for the games at Tallis Stadium, yes, they've been impressive and they've set new records, but they still haven't passed more than... Uh, 8,000 so when you think about it Aviva Stadium holds north of 50,000 even if the lower level of uh, Aviva Stadium is still more than 8,000 you know you wanted to have a big raucous atmospheric send off you didn't want to have the crowd lost in yeah. in the middle of a stadium that size look I think Tala Stadium holds about the current um, capacity is about uh, 8,000 don't know if the North Stand will be completed in time for that game. I think the last time that I read, uh, it would be expected to complete in July 2023. I don't know if it'll, even if it is complete, you still have things like fire certificates and safety certificates before it can be formally opened. And and it can be the, the first game uh, with the, the North Stand completed. Look, I really hope that the team get the send-off they deserve, and I hope that they get a record crowd uh, watching them do it. And you know, uh, all going well, uh, I'll be there to, to see it happen. 
We hope you've enjoyed our uh, review of the some of the higher profile transfers that took place in January, uh, as well as our look ahead to the upcoming under 21 and uh, women's team fixtures. I want to thank Mark and Phil for joining me on the episode today. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Hawkeye Psychic, and you can follow Phil at uh, Philip Flanagan. Uh, you can follow me at Iris underscore Abroad. Probably going to be another few weeks before our next episode ahead of the friendlies for the under-21, the men's team, and the qualifier against France. We look forward to talking to you soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.